People think this is just another episode of the podcast, but what it really is, is our review of George of the Jungle 2. The, yes, it is. The best George of the Jungle movie. Yes, it is. I, uh, Here I, we are, the power of four, giving you an exclusive detailed I don't think any, I don't think of the George words, of the Jungle The words two. George of the Jungle 2 review have ever been said before. Ever. No, I don't think anybody's reviewed it. Maybe we're the first ones. I got some Mark's house, and he was just watching. I, he, I, I don't even know how I knew it. <laughs> it was just like an open shot of New York, and I was like, that's... That's George of the Jungle too, <laughs> and then he's like, yeah yeah, "Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's exactly it." Um, we were watching it uh, before Drew came in, and uh, we're just fascinated by it. <laughs> yeah, there's a, the writing in it, the acting in it. Brendan Fraser's not in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in yeah. the first one. Um, love Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I, I love this it too. Like, they know. have a joke in the in the beginning of the movie where it's like, uh, "Like, wait a minute, you're not you're not Brendan Fraser. What happened?" And then they're like. Uh, studio too cheap to pay pay Brendan Fraser. Oh man, which is true. It had a box office bull, which is the first movie. Maybe it would have done good if Brendan Fraser were in. First the movie had a budget of like fifty million, like 50 million and then made um one hundred and seventy nine million back, which is pretty mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And this movie had a budget of one hundred twenty million dollars and made one hundred twenty million dollars back. One hundred twenty million dollars. Yeah, they've more than what? doubled the box office like production costs. What? And it looks just as bad. Yeah, I think it was all the all the shots in New York and oh. Vegas and stuff. Oh, yeah, was... pretty sure. And the guy who looks... The guy who is the replacement for Brandon Fraser is almost a spinning image of Brandon Fraser. So how was, how was work? Uh, it's been good. It's been good. Um, I have my new schedule, so I'm not there all the time. So it's like one day in, one day out. Um, and you? It's good. I mean, I'm working, but... I've been like writing a lot for like D and D. Uh huh. Story called Curse of Strahd. There's Ooh. like I've been. It's uh, a Drew. Drew, okay. Drew, Drew, Drew knows. Drew, Drew knows. Um, I've been preparing it, and it's like damn, it takes a long, really? long time. Is that what you were doing with Aiden? Yesterday, no, we were just um, we were supposed to do D and D with a with like a group, but then one person couldn't show up, mm. so we were all kind of like there, just like, dang. Guess we'll uh. But that, we'll just play Monopoly or some shit. Oh, so. But that's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. A lot of people have been telling me. Um. They're really. Uh. They think the whole thing about you killing me off every episode is funny. Oh yeah. I don't find it funny I think at it's all. Hilarious. I don't find it funny Speaking at all. Speaking of which, Thomas. Mark, roll for initiative right now. <laughs> and then then you die. Dude, I thought the opening to last episode was hilarious. Oh <laughs> so my like, god. Mark, don't do it. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it so much. But all right, who's our guest today, Mark? Our guest today... I know I said it before, but who's our guest today? No, you're good, you're good. Uh, Our guest today uh, is the fabulously talented, wonderfully uh, musician, in my opinion, uh, Drew Young, my friend. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I have not seen you in forever. I know. Um, Me neither. I haven't seen Drew since, like... And uh, you have accomplished wonders, my friend. I, I mean, that's what I see. That's that's what you've been oh, you've been putting so, out there. He's got an iPad with the Apple yeah, Pen. Yeah, man. He's, uh, look, he's look the only, at that. He's the only person I know with that. He's nice. the only person that's shown up with an iPad. Right? I mean, I can't. Oh what, what, what else can I say? I didn't know what to expect. I had to be prepared <laughs> for said, anything. Yeah. He, oh, he knew. <laughs> Everybody just came in all doozy, and this man was like, "No, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta I got come a, in. Got flex, I gotta come you know? in strong." How are you? How are you doing today? I I am great, you know. It's the weekend. We're in the middle of the apocalypse. Uh, yeah. Oh, so <laughs> yeah. We we're doing great. We're, we're cruising. Yeah. How many wildfires have happened this year alone? I don't like know. there is yeah, that one in Australia. Like, more to count. There is the one in California, like early in the year. We, now there's the one in California now. Oh yeah. We are 
we are cruising by. We, yeah. We're trying it's to cruise a, by. It's tough to be a bug, man. So tell me really quickly, um, you're in Rollins College. College. You're in your final year now. I am. And uh, what is your major at Rollins College? My major is in music. Okay. I am a music major, and I focus in, here we go, vocal performance, That's conducting, right. and music history. Got you. Got you. Got you. Yeah. And so... Th- that I remember was a, a whole big thing back in high school. So uh-huh. did was that just your uh, your catalyst to actually go into college for it? Y- yeah, that's kind of where I discovered that this is kind of what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I really started in middle school. I was lucky enough to be able to student conduct mm. for Mr. Michael Weintraub. Weintraub. Oh, Weintraub. Whatever happened to him? He is... In, he went to graduate school at okay. Ohio State, and now he's back, but he's in Orange County. He's at Lake Nona oh, wow. High School. That's cool. Yeah, I remember exactly. Lake Nona High School. I've, I've known Drew since sixth grade. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had the same... The wonders. We had the same uh, drama teacher. We we did. We did. <laughs> we did. Kristen. Uh, what a wonderful soul. Yeah, no, she's super nice. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so... How how have you been doing also during this whole, like you said, apocalypse, as you say, and just um, uh, figuring out school-wise? Well, school, we've kind of been given this um, option of either staying home and doing uh-huh. online classes uh-huh. or going in or kind of doing a hybrid of each. Uh-huh. So I have some classes that will meet online. We have a program that's a face-to-face software called WebEx. Mm-hmm. And we use that and kind of meet up as a whole class, and we see the teacher. We're able to see PowerPoints, boards, all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so we're given that, but then we have some teachers that are still opting for face-to-face gotcha. instruction at school. Yeah. And so that's all socially distanced, and right. we have to wear masks. Right. So, so what we're hanging we, in there. What were you doing prior the pandemic? What were you working on, actually, prior, before the pandemic, my bad? Oh, we had tons of stuff. I know I had to cancel a couple performances really? just because of the pandemic. Damn, we that had sucks. at the Bach Festival Society. We were going to be performing Elijah, which is one of the great oratorios, mm-hmm. and we just couldn't do it. Couldn't so do we it. had to cancel that performance, mm-hmm. and that brought in a lot of revenue that we had to cut. Dang. So it, it, it's been rough, mm-hmm. but a lot of musicians we've become very technologically savvy during this time so yeah, 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 yeah we've yeah, been doing sure. a lot of online stuff very nice very nice and what what have you kind of learned into these last couple of months now coming back into the school kind of rhythm mentality wise um everything's different we're just having to interact differently having to sing differently we're having to take precautions that we didn't have to do before um right We've invested in these big three foot wide, seven foot tall, like plexiglass panels oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that move around on wheels. And we have them maybe five in each classroom. Mm-hmm. So we kind of surround the singer, we surround the pianist, okay. and then we just kind of do our thing and sing into plexiglass screens. <laughs> is wow. there um, is there any news for you guys as far as performing again on stages? Um, we are having to do it at less audience capacity. So we do have, we are going to be performing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if we have a small enough group, we're going to be able to perform in our hall mm -hmm. and only have a limited number of audience members. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to be doing our big performances, like or orchestra performances or choir performances, mm -hmm. it's going to be outside. Got you. And we're going to have to socially distance the audience, spread out chairs, but we're we're still going to do it. That's good. We're still going to do it. That's the whole point. You know, the show must go on, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely. In whatever way it can. For sure. For sure. Um. So... I know you've been you've been really into musical theater and stuff like that. I have since uh, since I've known you. Um, what what do you think was like your inspiration to, to to follow that? Like what what do you think caused you to be like this is what I want to do and I want to do it forever? Yeah, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. I honestly think it was a mix of a lot of things because mm -hmm. I was I think I was pretty involved in the arts scene in Osceola County for so. sure. In middle school, I was in band and theater. In high school, I was in theater, band, and choir. And then I did shows at Osceola Arts. And just that culmination of all of those different artistic outlets have brought me to being like, this is what I want to do. I like having a artistic outlet. People enjoy it. I enjoy it. So I might as well make a career out of it. Mm -hmm. Now, I've kind of leaned towards the music side mm -hmm. more to the acting theater side but it this is what i want to do i want to eventually get into teaching and just spread that just like it affected me i want to mm -hmm. affect other people do you have a favorite piece of like music oh that's a hard one <laughs> i um, gave him two hard I'm giving all the, all the hard well, thomas is ready today he's, he's ready he's, he's coming quick. With him. um i'm gonna have to say the bach magnificat now, if you haven't heard that piece... Of course, go right go ahead. It is wonderfully magnificent. It has fast tempos, slow tempos. Its emotions are coming out of everywhere. And it is what I think is a great piece for people who aren't used to classical Baroque music. Uh -huh. That's a great introductory piece because it's exciting, it's fun, and you can make parallels with modern... I think modern rock modern mm. like rap uh. because the words in this piece are so quick you have to be always on your toes the tempos are up so it's honestly like a baroque style um right. rap because the text it's more emphatic on the text mm -hmm. it's not really lending to musical phrases but syncopated beats and um <clears throat> just focus on the text interesting that's you know I, I that, that's like uh classical music would you say you you could categorize it as classical music and you said it was rip, rip, a piece by bach yeah what did, didn't he i feel like he died in a weird way didn't he or something like that i remember hearing did he die in a weird way yeah, did, did bach die in a weird way bach didn't die in a weird way um, there are a lot of composers that did die in a weird way. Though. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Do you I, do you know any? Yeah, uh, there was this French composer called Lully, and he was very early, very early. And in early conducting, they didn't have sticks, they didn't have batons, they had staffs. Right. Oh, that's were big cool. staffs. Okay, yeah. And what they would do is go on the stage. They would have their ensemble right next to them, and they beat out like this. That would be your tempo. And they would constantly hit the floor with that staff. Now, Luli, he was getting really into it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he stabbed his foot oh, with man. the staff. And he later died 
because of the infection that it caused. Oh, oh my, god. my god. So this is a man who loved music so much that he died by it. That's insane. Wow. I, I, I hit my foot the other day, and I thought I was going to die. Oh, my God. <laughs> Try not to spread that infection. <laughs> That's crazy. Is that, um, is that like, a common thing that usually happens with... Oh, uh, back then, if you got, like, an infection of any kind, I mean, they're... Well, no, oh, yeah. I, I, yes. Their, their, their whole idea was, like, oh, you're sick, you got ghosts in your blood. Oh, well. Gotta bleed them out. Uh, put your affairs in there. Grab the leeches. Right? <laughs> you know, leeches were actually pretty pretty good, good, good you know, use of, like, medicine. Because, right? you know, if you, depending on the wound, if it was, like, a bite or something like you that... get the toxins out. Yeah. Leeches, leeches were pretty cool. Everything else, though, not so much. Like... Bloodletting and stuff. I feel like, I think that's how uh, that's how George Washington died. He got sick, and uh, the guy was like, "All right, so I'm just gonna cut you a little bit, let the bad blood bleed out, and we'll right, yeah, get yeah. you all nice." Yeah. And then he fucking died. Yeah, and he's like, "All right, cool. <laughs> Wait, I don't feel good." Yeah. <laughs> Drew just dropped that he toured with Game of Thrones. Uh, Which season of Game of Thrones was this? First well, of all, it wasn't a season. So what they do is they take a lot of these big HBO shows. And they take all of the original scores, mm -hmm. and they tour around the country with the soloist conductors, and they'll take local musicians in each state and kind of tour around each state and perform the music. So a couple months back, a year ago, it was one year ago this month, one year ago I got hired to sing in the choir. It was... 13, 12, 12, 13 of us, and we just sung all the music from Game of Thrones, and we got to tour around the state. We got to go to Jacksonville, Miami, and Tampa, and we just performed with these HBO musicians, and it, it was fantastic, and it paid quite well. Oh, snap. <laughs> Damn. Did you do the? Yes. Oh my. Yes, we did. That's cool. Yeah, because we were just talking about um, just some stuff that Drew's been able to do, and you just kind of threw that one on us out of nowhere for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. I just whatever. I worked with people from HBO, but not nothing too crazy. Nothing too crazy. That's awesome. It was it was a fun experience. They put us in costumes, so we got to wear robes that were from the show and it it was great. Are you a fan of the show? Oh yes. Did you what do you think Quite about what do you think fan. about that 8th season? Okay, and here here's where the controversies start. No, 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 no. Is don't tell me. me don't, don't say, don't say. Don't. Me as a fan, I never read the books. Okay, okay. So, I'm not like an uber mega fan. Mm -hmm. I watched the show and I watch purely for entertainment and the lore and just the story. And so the show is all I have seen. So when all of my friends are like, "Oh, it sucked. I hated it." I I thoroughly enjoyed it. No. <laughs> I knew it. No. I, because because it it's the only thing that I have. I don't it's not like Harry Potter where I've read all the series and I can compare it to mm -hmm what is going on in the films. So I have nothing to compare Game of Thrones to. So me as an audience member, I I, I enjoyed it. This, oh, wow. I can't I can't say the same. I think that I can tell. You were very disappointed with me. <laughs> I was me. super disappointed. well in the in the show, the way it ended, you know, I'm like <coughs> kinda of felt super thrown together, I think. Like all this build up for this like all this season is where everything is gonna be just like 
the conclusion of so many different storylines. And it was like, yeah, four of those stories were included in one episode, and another five in the other, and then six <laughs> in the last one, and then 12 in the yeah. last episode. <laughs> yeah, they did, they did crunch some stuff. And did you hear one of my favorite characters, um, the actress just passed away, mm. um, the... The older lady who led the uh, House Tyrell. Yeah, yes, I did hear about that. What she was, she was my favorite. Uh, she she was, was so sassy. And um, and spoilers for Game of Thrones. If you, if you hear this now, you can't crucify me. <laughs> uh, three, two, one. She, she's just like, oh yeah, I, I killed Joffrey. I poisoned that guy. Oh yeah. I fucking poisoned the shit out of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then um. I like because like Jamie captures her hold or whatever, mm. and uh, she's like, "Well, I want you to tell Cersei that I did it, that I did it." <laughs> it's like, damn, bro. Oh man! And then she killed herself. She does kill herself <laughs> because she didn't want Jamie to kill her. Because Jamie, Jamie's well, Jamie was like, "Oh, well, you know," because this is what went towards the end of his arc where he's like, "I'm a good person." I was like, "Look, we're not, I'm gonna make sure Cersei. Cersei wants to like." torture you for years mm-hmm. i talked her out of all of those and then he he drops like the poison on the table and i think that she that's what she takes well doesn't it not work didn't i No, it works i feel like i feel like there's a someone in the show where it's like someone's like here take this poison if you you do not to get tortured and the person takes it but it was a lie mm. the, 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 there was no poison i in my mind i remember the scene like he gives her the poison she drinks it. She realizes it's not real poison. Then takes out real poison and then drinks that. <laughs> but I could be totally wrong. But yes, that is that really sucks. She was indeed one of the best characters there. Um, it, it, who was your favorite character? It. I liked her, but I do have to say it was Varys. Varys, I the little love, finger. Uh, no, Varys. He, oh, oh, um, yes, yes, his death, especially. His death, the especially, I absolutely hated because Daenerys is yeah. like, "You'll just, you know, I won't kill you. Just let me know if I ever get crazy." And he does that, and she's like, "No, I'm not being crazy," and then kills him. Yeah, and no one gives a shit. <clears throat> Tyrion's the only one who's like, "That shouldn't have happened." Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe something's up. Yeah, I feel like the, the, her turn to being evil was just too quick. You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't. Mm-hmm. She's like, "I'm in a foreign land, and people here don't instantly love me." Gotta subjugate. Yeah. No, it's dumb. Don't it was written by uh, Jon Snow, right? Game of Thrones. George R R R Martin. <laughs> I threw an extra R in there. Cause they asked me that like a couple episodes ago. Somebody asked me that. They were like, "Oh, Thomas was like, do you know the author of Game of Thrones?" I said, "Jon Snow." <laughs> Jon Snow, bro. Jon Snow. I don't want to be king. I don't. <laughs> what is? I don't want it. <clears throat> that's, a good, that's a good impression. Those those scores for oh, that show is absolutely difficult. Difficult, and we have to. When we were on tour, we had to learn Dothraki and High Valyrian mm-hmm. just to sing it. Yeah, George R. R. Martin made up languages, just yeah. like like um, Tolkien did for oh, yeah, The Hobbit. And probably stuff. yeah, he literally he made up entire dialects and language rules and alphabets. And there there are yeah. classes that you can take to study the language wow. that Tolkien um, created. And it, um, it's crazy. But uh, was that uh, the only score kind of concert wise you did? Or were there others that I, you kind of did similar to that? I have, I have, I have sung with the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, that's my favorite. That's my favorite Harry Potter too. It they did a performance at the Dr. Phillips Center 
and it's just a touring company that they bring a conductor in and soloists, and then they take an orchestra. So this one was the Orlando Philharmonic, and mm. they hire some singers, and I was part of that, and we basically did all of the music throughout the movie, and they projected the movie just without the sound and the music. That's we awesome. the music. They did that for Star Wars, too, I remember. Um, yep. But I love that scene where Harry does the expecto patronum. And, oh, yeah, yeah that's and my it's, favorite. And it's so that's powerful and everything. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. That's I'm fantastic. Like, <gasps> that's really, those are really cool gigs. It's also fun, you know, Daniel Radcliffe never gets taller than he was in that movie. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he is a shorter guy. He's a short guy. He's 5'5". Five five. Yeah. He's a shorty. Yeah. Love him, though. He's one of my, he's yeah. one of my favorite actors. I he's think. a great, yeah, so great. It's, a, it's like a, like, he's not in huge blockbuster movies. He's only in movies like he wants to be in. Yeah. Like, but... he was in uh, Horns. <laughs> And what was the recent one he was in? Or he's got like two guns and he's wearing a bathrobe and slippers and walking down the street. Oh my uh, god! I've seen the trailer. You, that, you know, I, I just totally appreciate. Like, I love that he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna do. I, I've got so much notoriety, I can do whatever I want now. So. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So freshman year at Rollins, I kind of just fell into it. I contacted them, I got an audition with the music department, and I conducted for the head of music there, Dr. John V. Sinclair, and he said... Oh, sorry, real quick. Is he also the dude who would compose for Candlelight? He he conducted Candlelight, yeah. Oh, that guy. He is the main conductor for Candlelight. Yeah, I've, I've uh, when I Candlelight, I performed with him a few times, um, but anyways, continue. continue. He, yeah, he's a fantastic guy. He <laughs> recruited me. For conducting, and I've been doing that ever since. Uh, freshman year, I started and got through <coughs> some theory classes, piano classes, because you've got to have that knowledge base at first mm-hmm. just to get through. And we performed in ensembles. That year, we toured up to North Carolina and sung with the Moravian Music Society, which is a music society based in the Moravian Church up in North Carolina. So we got to sing for them. And that's kind of where I got my scholarly beginnings, because mm. they have a rich music history. So I do a lot of my scholarly work with them. I write papers and fun intellectual stuff. <laughs> and what and what exactly like? Because I'm still like, what what do you have to do with like the papers? You just have yeah. to write like. A... So, I'm basically researching topics that haven't been covered before in papers. So oh, hell yeah, I, that's awesome. I read a lot, I talk to a lot of people, and <clears throat> it's... Like a journalist of sorts. Kind of, yeah, yeah. And I write on topics like the Moravian way of life, or the Moravian musical life, and <clears throat> so one of my papers is on the musical life of the Moravians in 1700. So it was how their community was based off of music. They separated everything into choirs. So when they were being raised, all the <clears throat> they had the single brothers choir, a single sisters choir. If you kind of kind of think of it as the pilgrims, they had they were separated into different houses. So like all the single women slept together in a house, like at, like a boarding school. All the single brothers slept in a boarding school type house, and they were called choirs. They would learn music through that, and that was their way of praise. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's kind of my research topics. Mm-hmm. Um, the end of my freshman year, that is when I conducted my first piece at the college, and that was the last words of David. 
<clears throat> a great piece, big, powerful piece. And mm. then I started getting into more conducting. I am a conducting tutor now, mm. so I am in the class with Dr. Sinclair, helping mm -hmm. teach mm -hmm. the beginning conducting students. Mm -hmm. um, I've just been able to have a lot of opportunities through mm -hmm. Rollins uh, that I wouldn't have been able to get at any other school. Beautiful. That's beautiful. awesome. So, um, is you, you want to keep going with this, like that, for your career? Yeah, I'm looking at an academic career, so I'm going to be going for my master's and then then to the PhD. Want to be Doctor Young? Doctor uh, <laughs> Young. Yeah, man. and hopefully I'm going to be that guy conducting ensembles, teaching music history classes, performing surgeries conduct. on the side. You know, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> while conducting. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, musical surgeries. Um, oh, that'd be cool. Do you imagine like conducting using like off of like this doctor using the scalpel? <laughs> Surgery went well. Also, the performance was fabulous. <laughs> it's um, live and the crowd loves oh, it. Oh, <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, can you explain to me the pressures or non-pressures that comes with being a conductor? Ah, yes. There is a lot of pressure that a lot of people don't see. We right. the, the audience sees that final product. It's almost of, like an illusion. It looks yes. it looks easy, yes. like anyone can, like a four year old can do it, but yes. it doesn't. At the Absolutely, same time. I totally agree. Mm. So the audience sees the final product. They see the conductor standing up in the tailcoat, just like this in front of the ensemble, and then just one, two, three, four. They're just seeing arms wave. What they're not seeing is the hundreds of hours before of rehearsals. The conductor is not just waving their arms. The conductor is the musical producer. So just imagine a soundboard. The conductor is in charge of bringing the violins up, bring the violins down, or the tenors in the choir up or down. Or let's say we have one a different tone from everybody. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to communicate that mm -hmm. through emotional emotions or words on how we want that phrase to sound. Mm -hmm. And it's terribly difficult, <clears throat> but once you get the hang of it, it's kind of second nature. You, you begin to see music and then that music will play in your head how you want it to sound. And then it's just your job to convey that and communicate that to your mm -hmm. ensemble. But that entails countless hours of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And before that, final product is a lot of hard work and a lot of painstaking work from the choir, from the orchestra. Yeah. And the end, it's very surreal because the end, you have that product. You know how it's going to sound, hopefully, <laughs> because things happen mm -hmm. and maybe that final product wasn't exactly what you wanted mm -hmm. but you still have to keep your ensemble happy and the audience is going to love it anyway Man. as long as you don't terribly mess up then you're fine you're delivering delivering your product mm -hmm. um whenever you do performances whenever you're mm -hmm. uh performing music especially as a conductor are you specifically making it sound like you said like you're bringing the tenors up or you're bringing the violins down are you doing it in a way that when you're doing it on the spot and you're performing it, um, is it more for um, is it more technical for the audience or is it more 
when you listen to it on your own, you're trying to remember how it sounds so that what you can give it the honest interpretation on stage, or um, is it more for, for you? Is it more of your interpretation as opposed to the actual recording of it? Does that make any sense? I kind I kind of like, think you know I see where you're going. Because so as a conductor as, for sure, like it it I can see when you when you need to do what you have to do to to, mm -hmm. to make sure everyone's balanced out and equaled out. Yeah. So my my thing is is okay, so is he doing it more for us so that way we know that we can hear everything and it sounds beautiful and everything is is equal, or is it more you have to give your cause because I guess that also is the pressure of people watching you, especially people who also, professors of some kinds that watch oh, you, yeah. what their critique is, like what exactly they're critiquing on you. Yeah. So your role as a conductor, this, this is going to be a multifaceted answer. Mm. So your role as a conductor, number one, is interpreter. Number one. You have your musical training. You know what sounds good. But this piece is let's say it's from 1805 and there's a conductor the composer of this piece is from 1805 so the instruments are going to be completely different not different instruments but a violin today is yeah, not going time, to sound things are different yeah, yeah it's not going to sound like a violin from 1805 so what we have is uh HIP, which is Historically Influenced Performance Practice, H-I-P-P, which is we're going to take instruments from this time period and play this piece how the composer wanted it and how the composer would have heard it from back then. Mm. But not everyone has an 1805 fiddle in their closet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so today we're going to take modern instruments and bring it to the modern ear. Because you as a listener, or anybody as a listener, is going to have a difficult time if you're not used to listening from, to instruments in 1805. You're going to have a difficult time because it's going to sound funny to you. Because the pitch is going to be completely different. We're in pitch A440 here. They're much down. So mm. their pitches, pitch centers are much lower. Down. Pitch, 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 pitch higher. Pitch higher. Pitch higher. Yeah. So, number one, the conductor is an interpreter. How am I going to make the audience enjoy what is going to happen. Step two is that producer, mm. is how I'm gonna bring up the levels. Because practice is one thing, and once we get to the performance, some people forget what we rehearsed. Mm. Any performer is gonna be in, in the moment and gonna forget what we rehearsed, mm -hmm. and just gonna go on the fly. So you, as the conductor, are that producer in real time because if I'm going and I hear the tenors crescendoing when we're in a p when we're supposed to be in a piano and mm. they're crescendoing to a forte, I'm gonna point at the tenors and I'm gonna be like, lower, <laughs> stop. I'm gonna bring my hand down and I'm going to say we're gonna not be as loud. Mm. Or completely opposite. I'm going to point at the tenors. I'm going to conduct. I'm going to point at the tenors, and I'm going to go ah, bring that up. Exactly. Like I that. want ah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm going to bring that volume mm -hmm. up. I can lower my pattern, and I can get super crisp and say uh, one, two, three, four, and the instruments are going to go mm 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 mm. But if I want it to be smooth and legato, I'm going to go one, two, three, and show like wave wave like water movements and their bows are just gonna go like that too mm -hmm. so 
it it's a very visual thing. If I had my way, the audience wouldn't look at me. They wouldn't look at the ensemble. They wouldn't look at anything. Their eyes would be shut and they would be listening to the music. Mm-hmm. Because if the audience sees that I'm doing certain things, they're going to see what I'm trying to convey. I don't want them to see what I'm trying to convey. I want them to hear it. Mm-hmm. That's the musical experience. Mm-hmm. So I don't want the audience to be distracted by anything that I do or what the orchestra does. But conducting is very different now than it was 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. 50 years ago, the conductor would stand very straight and conduct rigid. This is the tempo, that's it. It wasn't entertaining. Even though I don't want the audience to look, they're going to look. They have eyes. So you as the conductor have to show emotion, have to show that you're into it. You are part of the show, per se. So if, let's take Dr. Sinclair in Candlelight. There is some great moments where he jumps Mm -hmm. on stage and hits his baton and and he's big. That is not how he conducts. Hmm. I Hmm. see him every day conduct. I have conversations with him every day. That's not him. He's very shy. He's very introverted. If he doesn't have to say something, he won't say it. But he's at Disney. (laughs) So at Disney, Mm. they want a show. So he's jumping on stage. He's doing big movements. And the audience loves it. But that's not him. Mm. So as a conductor, you have to have so many different ideas on how to convey things to your audience that mm-hmm. it's crazy. How do you, how do you uh, personally prepare to get ready for rehearsal times and stuff, mentally or a physical level? Because um, you're standing for hours, I'm assuming. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that's a, that's a toll in and of itself. There, there are things that you can do to prepare and things that you just have to get used to. Mm-hmm. What do you do so specifically? I have to be mentally prepared. I have to know that score that I'm conducting from back to front. Mm-hmm. I want, if the choir has a question, I have to be able to answer it. I can't look like I don't know the piece that I'm conducting. Mm-hmm. Like if they say measure 40, do you want that to be a piano or a forte? It's written as a mezzo forte, but that's not really like to the piece because the edit- editor might have put something in that's not correct. Mm-hmm. I have to go to 40, and I have to know that idea, and I'm going to be like, that's going to be a forte. Mm. I have to have an answer. You as a conductor, and especially in front of students or even professionals, professionals more, students, they're there to learn. But if you're in front of a professional orchestra, they expect you to To know know. because they know their music. They're getting paid. You're getting paid. This is a job. Mm -hmm. You better know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So... Me, I prepare by score study, listening to so many different performances of the same piece because I want all the different ideas that different conductors have. Conductors never have their own idea. We always steal from different people. Mm. So I listen constantly. And you have to know your ensemble. You have to know what you're going to walk into Mm -hmm. because you just need to know the kind of sound that you want, the kind of sound that they have, the kind of sound that you want, and how you're going to get them to the sound that you want. Um, the whole standing thing, that, that, that's hard because <laughs> you stand there and wave your arms for hours. And so the best way is just going up there, crying through it, 
and getting used to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better than practicing. Mm-hmm. All right. So earlier in this podcast, and I was, I was talking to Mark, I mentioned D and D, and he seemed pretty uh, pretty into that. So, yes. so do you play it at all? I do, I do. Um, I have a great friend that DMs for me, and we have a group, and we kind of just go with the flow. Yeah. His name's Morgan, and he, his family grew up doing it, so he is a fantastic yeah. DM, and he makes his own campaigns. He That's goes cool. off book and just does whatever mm-hmm. he wants, and it's fantastic. He's a great storyteller. That's awesome. I love. That's my favorite thing. So I, I always like being the DM. You know, I like telling the story. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I've been. Um, I played it a little bit, like when I was like a freshman in high school, because um, a friend I rode the bus with it was being on it, so I'd play with mm-hmm. him. Then um, kind of never did touch it again until recently. A bunch of my friends were like, "We should do a D and D group," and I was like, "Hell yeah." Mm-hmm. And so, um, I had, I had, you know, well, I guess I, I DM'd it like once for a few weeks in the summer of last year, but I never, it was like a homebrew adventure and I never, mm-hmm. I never got to finish it though. And, um, so I'm like, Hey, you know, it's, ho- it's almost Halloween, so we should do like a spooky adventure. I found Curse of Strahd. Yes. Um, it's a really hard adventure to start off oh, with. Oh, absolutely. Because be I t- prepared. I figured it'd be like a linear story, you know? But no, it's not. It's an open sandbox in its own world, and it's like you can go wherever you want, and you just got to fucking make up the story for it. Correct. I was like, damn. It's also randomized. You draw the, the cards at the beginning of it, and that tells you where, well, you know, what happens and stuff. And mm-hmm. ugh, I just finished writing uh, the whole Death House part. Yes. And that was like, that's going to take them like 10 hours. All the rooms. Swear yeah. to God. 38 rooms. 38 yeah. rooms. Whoa. Yep. Okay. Um, well, that's cool. Who's your, what's your character? Like, what do you, what's your, your main guy? So my main guy, we have a campaign that we've been playing for about a year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. And it is a long campaign. I am a high elf. Okay. Uh, the name's Castian. And... I am an anthropologist, and I am going around <laughs> the world searching for all of these lower creatures that I find fascinating, because I'm a stuck-up high elf. Mm-hmm. So I want to learn about all of these little beings out here in the world. So, yeah, I'm a quirky little elf. That's cool. What's your like, class? Oh, definitely wizard. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of I got that. I knew I, um, Lots of magic. I'm a big fan of Castlevania. Okay. And so my character is essentially like a Belmont. He's a monster hunter, uses a whip. His name mm-hmm. is Lionel Bennett. So that's cool. Um, I like the role play, you know? I like yes. That's what I like, you know? People a lot of A lot of people don't understand it, but once they get into it, mm-hmm. it just you expands your mind. It's fun, you know? Because it just works on your imagination. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things that people need to work on, and imagination is one of them. So I love about... D&D is like, you can do anything. Correct. And you, can, you know, if you're like, hey, I want to try and grab that guy. All right, well, just roll to see if you can grab that guy. <laughs> you, before I do, you said you did want to explain something about the Japanese. Ah, uh, yes. yes. So I have recently been a part of this project through a nonprofit 
uh, based in Japan called Murita, and they are bringing music education into rural schools in mm. Japan and putting more of an emphasis on music education through the Japan Japanese education system. Mm-hmm. And I recently performed, it was all virtual because the musicians are all around the world that mm-hmm. my friend Rio, who is the um, creator of this program, um, he knows all these people from around the world. And I sung with them. Um, the piece is uh, Anemino Makezu, and it is an opera called, um, the English translation is Unbeaten by Rain. So it is a triumphant song about overcoming obstacles. Mm-hmm. And it is on YouTube right now, so I would encourage anybody to go like it, go take a look. It is currently... How do you spell it? That's the. Yeah, going to be the big M-U-D-I-T-A, Mudita. That is the channel, and then... It's it's in Japanese, the text, but if you look up Murita Virtual Orchestra, then that it will pop up, and it is a picture of a hand with a quill, and then you just press play, and you'll see all of these different boxes. You'll see me singing. You'll see everybody else playing. It's a good time. It is currently at 17,000 views, and we posted it about two months ago, and it it's going yeah i we're super excited about it fantastic fantastic stuff so i think everybody has an artistic experience that they have experienced so like they've gone to a show or they've gone to a museum and have seen a piece of art they there is something in the world that's artsy that they like and that can be very broad architecture architecture is artsy the person who designed this table that we're recording on is an artist they designed it they made it music is my thing i love it it affects me it is very emotional and the conductor is the one who conveys that emotion i can conduct a piece five times each time having conveying a different emotion so you the artist can bring people out of whatever they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of the apocalypse. And music can affect people in a positive way. Mm-hmm. The arts is what is going to bring the population out of this funk. We're, we're in a funk right now. Mm-hmm. Nobody's wanting to do anything. Mm-hmm. We're just staying at home. And if we're staying at home, we can listen to music. We can watch a show. We can paint. We can do whatever. The resources are unlimited. We have technology that can connect us with anyone across the world. We have the, the technology. <laughs> we have the ability to connect with people. And as a musician, we can connect and influence people's emotions. And the arts is what is going to bring us out of this craziness. So, people of the world, this is what drew young has to say number one be kind to one another everybody is out here especially right now in this moment and if we are kind to everybody no matter your political affiliation no matter your religious beliefs no matter 
what you like to do, what food you like to eat, who you choose to love. If we can treat each other with mutual respect, we will be in an overall better place than we are right now. Number two, listen. We have been given two ears, one mouth. Which is more? The ears. If we can listen to each other, we can understand each other's perspectives, and we can truly work to be in a better place that we are right now. So please, listen. Number three, advocate. If we can advocate for the things that we believe is right, then we are going to be in a much better place than we are right now. If you have an arts organization that you love, please donate. We are having a rough time right now. We are not getting funding anymore. We are not able to have performances. Our incomes have gone away. So if you have an arts organization or any organization that you truly believe in, please advocate for them. Donate, even if it's a dollar. It will help. If you can give time, volunteer. Always be able to give your time to your organizations that you truly believe in. So that is one, two, three. The common theme is always making the world a better place, leaving it better than we are leaving it currently. My name is Drew Young, and this has been The Power of Four. And now presenting John Hensinski, playing Rachmaninoff's Opus 39, number eight.